Welcome to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence, to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Our teaching text for this morning is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Sheldon. You guys can take a seat. Well, good morning, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Molly Inman. I'm the pastor of prayer and leadership development here at A Jesus Church, and I serve on the teaching team alongside Tim and Richard and Shelby and Weston. And so it's good to be back up in the teaching space with you today. It's been a minute. But if you've been tracking with us, you know that our teaching text today actually skipped over a chunk of chapters four and five. But don't worry, we're gonna be circling back to what Paul addresses in those chapters later next week week. But with Thanksgiving around the corner, we thought it would be good to jump ahead to some of the practical instructions Paul gives to this community of Jesus followers who are living in a city a lot like ours. For us this holiday season, it's often punctuated with a faster, more frenzied pace of life, and it impacts us in all kinds of ways. And one of the coping strategies that has gained a lot of popularity lately for how to deal with the stress, the pressure, and the pace of life is the practice of gratitude, which in a lot of ways is amazing. But I think what Paul is getting at here in our teaching text this morning might be deeper and more effective than what we tend to think of as gratitude or the practice of giving thanks in general. Because it's true, the cultural momentum of this time of year invites us to consider what we're grateful for, But instead of leaning into what culture might have to say about what it means to live a life of gratitude, we wanted to come under the teaching of scripture and learn from what the scriptures have on offer to learn the way of gratitude in spirit and in truth. So you're gonna need a Bible this morning. If you don't yet have one, we've got men and women that would love to pass them out. Just pop a hand up. And while we do that, I am going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are our teacher. You are our rabbi and that you have provided the gift of your scriptures to come under the authority of your teaching, to be able to learn your way in a way that is marked with life to the full. So thank you, God, for your invitation from Paul in 1 Thessalonians to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Would you help us to understand what it means to learn and to live that out as a reality of our life today? And all God's people said, Amen. So friends, two weeks ago, me and my work bestie, Nicole, she is often at the Connect desk, she's a lovely woman, Uh, we were headed to a meeting at Starbucks. And as we made the short journey from the office to the parking lot, I was juggling far too many things in my hand. I had my wallet, my keys, my water, my purse, my jacket, and they're all chaotically dangling off of me. But I also had way too much going on in my head. Some of you might be familiar with this phenomenon, it's called mom brain, where my brain is calculating how much my toddler had to eat that morning and if that was enough to last him through nap time and what is his nap time because he woke up early and I don't want him to get overtired and what are we gonna have for dinner? Did I move the frozen meat out of the freezer into the fridge and what is this meeting for? Where are we headed and do I smell a dirty diaper in this car? That's what's going on in my brain. 
Yes, some call it mom brain. I'd like to call it superhero brain, right? Because who else is able to hold 100% of the needs of another human in their brain and still get anything else done throughout the day? And all the mothers and fathers in the room said, amen. All that to say, we make it to the car, which looks like a tornado of books and snacks tore through, but we move the wreckage aside and we head to Starbucks. As we arrive, I began the process of trying to regather my belongings to head in, and I realize I can't find my wallet. I'm digging through every nook and cranny that it could possibly be, and all of a sudden I've got a pit in my stomach. Did I leave my wallet on the roof of my car? Did I place it there when I was trying to get the chaos that is my life into the car? And so I share that with Nicole, and she laughs and she says, that's ridiculous, I'm sure it's in the car somewhere. We joke about my mom brain and then dismiss the idea. It's probably just buried in the tornado, but in my gut, I'm feeling like I left it on the roof of the car, and it's probably in the middle of Shoals Ferry, likely on the train tracks, and I am never going to see my debit card, my credit card, my passport was in there, work credit card, keys to the office, an insurance card ever again. And the thought of having to replace and handle every single one of those individual losses was starting to put me into a little bit of a tailspin. So we prayed and I begged that Jesus would please help me find my wallet as we're heading back to the office. I make one offhanded comment and I say, Nicole, maybe we should head back the way we came rather than getting on the freeway, even though it'd be faster. I just sense maybe that we might find it on the street. She continues to reassure me, I'm sure it's just in this car somewhere. And what she's not saying is, this car is such a mess, how could you even begin to find anything in here? But she's graciously keeping that to herself in a moment of crisis for me. And so we're headed back to the office on a side street and all of a sudden I see a bright green wallet with bright pink raspberries on it right in the middle of the street. So I screech to the side, I sigh in relief after not one, not two, but three cars run it over. One, two, three, but I don't even care. It's my wallet and it's back and I'm so happy. So I run into the street when it's safe to do so. I grab the wallet and I sigh in relief. When I got home, I told my husband, Jake, what had happened, who was, of course, not at all surprised about the hot mess of my situation. And as I was telling the story, I noticed that I made myself the hero and took credit for the idea to drive back the way we came, and thank goodness I found my wallet. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I actually asked Jesus to help me find my wallet. I never took the time to thank him for the fact that my wallet was safely waiting for me in the middle of a side street and not lying in the middle of the train tracks never to be seen again. And so, as silly as it sounds, I took a moment to sincerely thank Jesus for the miracle of finding my wallet. That my perspectives on his goodness began to increase. I could have been on the phone for hours that afternoon trying to cancel credit cards, schedule new appointments at the DMV, get a new license, get a new passport, having the locks changed, having the work locks changed. And instead, I'm in my warm home with my family making dinner. I'm aware of the impacts that this moment had on my perspective of God and his presence and provision in my life. It was the difference between understanding God's goodness in an abstract sense and making it real to my personal life, to actually experiencing his goodness and love. How many times have I, have you, have we missed out on an opportunity to be grateful because we've been too busy, moving too fast through life, that we don't stop and practice the very gratitude that has the ability to radically realign and anchor us in the goodness and love of the Father, even in mundane moments like losing a wallet. 
but it's our tendency, isn't it? Especially this time of year. Our calendars begin to rule us, and the next thing you know, you've got four major events on one weekend, or you work in business and Black Friday promotions are just being crammed down your throat and you have to work late every single night. What tends to happen when the cultural expectations of this time of year press in and our pace of life picks up, it's the practices like gratitude and rhythms that help us remain aware of God's presence throughout the day to stay anchored in his love, they start to take a back seat. And the irony of this season is that our ability to be well anchored decreases while our need to be well anchored increases dramatically. It's as if we all decided to take a road trip across country and then also decided never to stop for gas until we got there. So it's my hope this morning that we can help give vision and value to the practice of gratitude and its ability to anchor us in and open us up to the love of God in ways we would have already missed, to allow it to sharpen our perspective and give us capacity to see the gifts and the grace of our lives as more real than our current circumstances. So first, what does the Bible have to say about gratitude? Let's start by taking a look at our teaching text today. And remember, Paul is writing to a people who are facing intense persecution and are being pressured to conform to the cultural norms and abandon the way of Jesus. And this is what he says to them. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love this passage because one of the number one questions I would get back when I was working with college and high school students is this. What is God's will for me, right? It's a question almost all of us have asked. I just wanna know God's will for my life. We've all been there and it is a beautiful and obedient desire to want to know and then do God's will. But it turns out it's not as complicated as we make it. Pray and give thanks. This is God's will for you. What if it really was that simple? What if God, who created us, knows what's best for us to live a life of obedience to him, and it's to be in constant communion and communication with him, giving thanks in everything? One of the stories where we see Jesus emphasize and prioritize the practice of gratitude is found in Luke 17, 11 through 19. It's this story of Jesus passing between the border of Galilee and Samaria. And as he's passing through, he walks by 10 men with leprosy. And they call out to him, and they ask that he would have pity on them, for they were isolated from society because of their disease. And so he goes to them, and he tells them to show themselves to the priest. Now this is an indication that he is promising to heal them, for the priest would never accept their presence uncleansed. And so as they went, the text says, they were cleansed, they were healed. And as 10 are hurting, are hurting towards the priest, only one, the text says, turns around after noticing that he had been healed and threw himself at the feet of Jesus, pouring out prayers of thanksgiving and of gratitude. Jesus acknowledges that only one out of the 10 have turned, yet all had received healing. And so he chooses to bless this man in front of him, saying, your faith has made you well. Or more accurately translated, your faith has made you whole, has saved you, has restored you. Jesus is drawing a clear connection between the practice of gratitude being rooted in relationship with him and his ability to bring restoration and wholeness to our very being. 
As we move on in the story of scripture, Paul in Romans 1 brings priority and practice to, to this practice of gratitude and even, sharpen, and, either, and even sharper focus, excuse me, when he writes, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Did you catch that? Paul is saying that it is possible for a person's lack of gratitude to impact their thoughts in a really devastating way. This passage is severe in nature, but Paul is not messing around. He is drawing a connection between wickedness and a lack of gratitude. He goes even further to point out that to deny thanks and honor to God causes thought patterns in our life to become futile or useless, pointless, and it causes darkness to invade our interior life. My point here is not to scare us into the practice of gratitude, but to help us really see and understand how a lack of gratitude and giving thanks to God really impacts how we think and how we live. Even science supports this powerful effect that gratitude has on our whole beings. There are several proven studies to the effects of gratitude, so humor me while I name a few, okay? So first, Practicing gratitude helps you become overall happier and have a more optimistic attitude. Those who practice gratitude exercised more. They helped learn more and make better decisions. So in other words, it helps strengthen their prefrontal cortex. Those who practice gratitude have fewer visits to the doctors, better sleep, lower blood pressure, and reduced symptoms of physical pain. Now what was significant about these three separate studies was that none of the circumstances in the lives of those who participated had changed. All of their lives stayed the same, but their attitude and their perspective on life shifted because of their practice of gratitude. Now I am so aware that this is probably not news to most of you in the room. At this point, the, uh, the invitation to practice gratitude has probably become somewhat of white noise to you, right? Everyone knows that we should be practicing gratitude, we should be more thankful, it's something that we should do. And I think it's because our culture is obsessed with a type of gratitude that is results-driven. Being grateful is good because it helps you feel better. That is the narrative of culture. Being grateful is good because it helps you feel better. And it's true, science and scripture both support this. But what is significant about this cultural narrative that I think is lacking is that it is making feeling good be the goal rather than a byproduct. Biblical gratitude helps us cultivate relational intimacy with Jesus. And it's in this relationship that opens us up to receive the peace of God's presence and remain tethered to the truth of his unconditional love. That's the goal. A byproduct is just feeling good after practicing gratitude, but the goal is the opportunity to cultivate a relational intimacy with Jesus and receive the peace of God's presence that can remain tethered to his unconditional love. So we will never stop quoting John Wimber around here when he says that if you want the scriptures to come off the page and inhabit your life, you need a theology, a model, and a practice. So we've talked a little bit about what the Bible has to say, but let's take some time to dive into a model and a practice for how to take this awesome rhythm that is gratitude and bury it deep within the rhythms of our life. So. The scripture actually gives us some really helpful models that we can learn and take inspiration from. In the Old Testament, God's people had specific habits and traditions that helped them practice gratitude and thanksgiving to God. 
Susie Silk, a teaching pastor at Church of the City, New York, who's pursuing a doctorate in Hebrew literature, she makes these observations around God's people's commitment to thanking God regularly. The first observation is that God's people in the Old Testament were asked to provide a series of sacrifices and thanksgiving when anything significant would happen in their life. Like, for example, having a baby or taking a vow, inheriting land, They would sacrifice at the temple and then they would have a meal of thanksgiving. And this would help mark the moment. Not letting the moment pass by and God's provision instead stay central to their perspective, giving priority to giving thanks to a God who provides. Second, we see annual feasts built into the life of God's people. So if something significant happened, they would go to the temple, they would offer a sacrifice, and they would partake in a meal of thanksgiving to mark the moment. But they also had set rhythms and annual feasts to help them remember who God is and what he has done. So we see a few of these that embodied the practice of thanksgiving and remained central to the God that provided for them in Leviticus 23. First, we see three spring feasts. We see Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. Passover and Unleavened Bread was an opportunity to remember the God who delivered his people out of Egypt. And the Feast of the First Fruits was an opportunity to thank God for the crops in the spring and for the harvest of food that gave people life. Secondly, we see the Feast of the Harvest in the fall, giving thanksgiving to God for the harvest that he's provided yet again and to dedicate one's life anew to God. There are so many others listed in uh, Leviticus 23, and then the Jewish people begin to add to their rhythms as well as their story continues, like Purim to celebrate what Esther had done, Hanukkah to celebrate what the Maccabees had done. We see rhythms of annual feasts help anchor them into the perspective and the renewal of who God is, helping them to be grateful and to restore them. Third, we see these rhythms prioritized in their life in the Old Testament through participation and roles at the temple. So just like we at a Jesus Church have a high value of worship, and so we've got a worship team and a set of worship volunteers that help bring that vision and value to life every Sunday, so they had a whole worship team dedicated to Thanksgiving at the temple. And so when you would come to the temple, there was the worship crew, and they were there to help cultivate a sense of gratitude, that you saw the vision and the values of Thanksgiving prioritized in practice in the way that they lived their life. Men and women would even put up these towers of Ebenezer stones or stones that remind them that God helps them to remind them to be grateful for what God had done. And so when little children would run by and they would see these towers of Ebenezer stones, they would ask their parents or an adult nearby, what are those towers for? And they would be able to give an opportunity to confess of a God who is good, who provides, and to be thankful to him. I bring up all of those examples to say this, they're daily weekly, monthly, and annual rhythms of life were infused with the practice of thanksgiving. It's what kept their eyes fixed on God in the midst of painful suffering, confusion, loss, hopelessness. Their anchor to to ground them in the reality of God's love and faithfulness was the practice of gratitude, and it can be for us as well. And so, If gratitude is the water that will provide restoration in our life, then prayer is the container that holds that water. So what do I mean by this? 
Again, the difference between gratitude as defined by culture and the restorative gratitude that the scriptures speak of have everything to do with where our gratitude is oriented, and it's through prayer that it is rightly oriented. Prayer is communion and communication with the living God, and it provides the container with which the practice of gratitude can live, can thrive, in order that we orient our gratitude in the direction of God himself. It's the difference of saying thank you God and sitting around the table and just being thankful for what we have. It orients their gratitude towards the person who gave it to us in the first place. And if we don't have a regular rhythm of prayer that is integrated into our daily life, anchoring us into the presence of God, then the reality of this practice of gratitude helping us in a season like this can be foolishness because we start to depend on our emotion to drive us toward motivation, or when we're in the mood, or when we are feeling extra grateful, then we participate. But it requires rhythm, not just fleeting motivation. It requires the daily, weekly, monthly, and annual rhythms to anchor us in to be grateful even when you're not feeling it. I love this excerpt from one of my favorite books Ronald Roheiser um, wrote called Domestic Monastery. He speaks of this far more eloquently than I ever could. He says this, too commonly we accept the following axioms or principles as wise. Creativity and variety are always good. Every prayer celebration should be one of high energy. Longer is better than shorter. Either you should pray with feeling or you shouldn't pray at all. Ritual is meaningless unless we're emotionally invested in it. But each of these axioms is overly romantic and unhelpful at sustaining a life of prayer. Prayer is a relationship and lives by these rules. Relating to anyone long-term has its ups and downs. Nobody can be interested all the time, sustain high energy all the time, or fully invest himself or herself all the time. Real life doesn't work that way, and prayer doesn't either. What sustains a relationship long-term is ritual, routine, and a regular rhythm that incarnates the commitment. Let me say that last line again, because this is significant. What sustains a relationship long-term is ritual, routine, and regular rhythm that incarnates the commitment. In other words, friends, we are invited to war against the cultural narrative that says, if it doesn't feel good, it must not be good that we must always be in the mood to pray or we must always be in the mood to give thanks, otherwise it's inauthentic or it's not worthy of our time. But prayer is the container that allows this practice of gratitude to grow and thrive. And so if we don't have rhythms weekly, daily, monthly, annually of prayer, of allowing the ritual and routine to be incarnated in the commitment to a life with Jesus, then we're, then we're relying on our emotion and our motivation to drive us towards things when we feel good, and then when we don't feel good, they go away. So for us here at the Jesus Church, we invite these regular rhythms on a daily basis. In the morning, we prioritize petition, which is a fancy way of saying make your requests known to God. At noon hour, we prioritize intercession, which is an opportunity to pray on behalf of another person or groups of people. We do this through our prayer hubs. 
Uh, on Mondays we pray for the city, on Tuesdays we pray for the church, and on Wednesdays we pray for the next generation. Those have been some really sweet opportunities to meet with God and confess, repent, and intercede on behalf of his people. And we do that every single week on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, but we're not doing them this week because of Thanksgiving, so don't show up, but definitely show up the week after that. We would love to see you there, 1215, right here in the prayer room. And then finally, in the evening, we wanna prioritize Thanksgiving, so this is a, a rhythm that we wanna to introduce to you, especially going into this holiday season. What would it look like for you to dedicate a regular rhythm of thanksgiving and gratitude to God in our life? So, our first invitation in allowing this practice to inhabit your life is to, uh, to equip you with some resources on doing this practically. So the first is to habit stack. And habit stacking is very simple. It's taking a habit that you want to integrate, a new habit, and attaching it to a habit that you already do daily. So our encouragement as a church is that you would dedicate evening time to Thanksgiving, but by all means, if you've got a different rhythm that works better for you, do whatever you need to. But a habit stack would look like this. Taking time for gratitude prayer on your way home from work. You're already in the habit of driving home from work. That's your consistent habit, now you occupy that time with your new habit, thanking God for what your day held. Or maybe when you're eating dinner, something we all have to do, take time around the table to say one thing that you saw God did and give him thanks. Or when you're falling asleep, again, another habit that everyone already does, taking five minutes to thank God for three things. Now if you're looking to invest a little bit more time in this practice, there is a beautiful ancient practice called the prayer of examine, and part of its priority within the practice is thanksgiving. And so it's an opportunity to allow yourself to go through your day in your mind's eye, invite Jesus into your imagination, and as you do, take him along the day with you, spotting opportunities to be grateful. So for me, this would look like at the end of my day, before I go to sleep, inviting Jesus into my imagination and having him sit next to me as I recount my day spotting any and every opportunity to give him praise and thanks. In the morning, getting in my car, noticing a full tank of gas, thanking him for the provision needed to be able to have gas in the first place. Or as I head to work, noticing the sunshine and thanking Jesus for good weather. Or walking into work and noticing that I've got beautiful friends at work that feel like family. And then as I head home for the evening, sneaking in a park date with CEO, thanking God that I got some time to be outside with my son before the sun goes down. It's a rhythm of examining your day with Jesus, giving thanks in all things. Maybe you've got kiddos at home. Here's another opportunity to practice gratitude. Go outside and collect some big rocks and paint words on those rocks to tell the story of what God has done and how he's provided and been faithful. And then put them at your front door like the Ebenezer stones with the Jewish people, every time you enter your house, those rocks will remind you of God's faithfulness and to be grateful for the story that he's writing in your life. Whatever it is you do, doing all of them, doing none of them, having your own creative way of inhabiting these practices, our invitation is this. Watch the habit of gratitude shape your perspective on God, self, others, and circumstances. And so as we close, I want to draw your attention back to the story of Jesus healing the lepers. Remember, all ten lepers received healing as they cried out to Jesus, and yet only one receives a blessing of restoration from Jesus. 
And it's all because he decided to return to Jesus and give thanks for what he had done. I highlight this particular story to say what I've been saying over and over again in several different ways. Gratitude brings us back into alignment with Jesus and in that place of relational intimacy, by his spirit, he restores our perspectives, our attitudes, our affections, our whole selves. This man called out to Jesus to be healed and Jesus does what he asked of him. But he receives restoration upon returning to Jesus and pouring out his gratitude. He asked to be healed, I asked to find my wallet, but in both places, turning back to Jesus and offering that praise and that thanksgiving held an opportunity for restoration, whole being restoration. But how often do we just keep walking? How often are we the nine out of 10? We ask Jesus to do something and then he does it, and then instead of turning and dropping to his feet in thanksgiving and worship and adoration, we're too busy and we keep walking. We keep going. We even sometimes carry the air of self-sufficiency and entitlement saying, it's about time, or probably would have happened anyway. But if our desire is for wholeness, restoration, then let us not neglect the invitation that is on offer in this teaching, in the life of the man with leprosy, and turn to Jesus when he answers our prayers, to take a moment, not to move too quickly through our life, and instead inhabit the practice of gratitude, not for the byproduct of feeling good, but for the goal of meeting with Jesus in the relational intimacy and by his spirit, allowing him to restore our very souls. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at jesuschurch.org.